0: Welcome back to The Bid, where we break down what's happening in financial markets and explore the forces shaping investing. I'm your host, Oscar Polito. Globalism is at a crossroads. Coronavirus has caused a dramatic pullback in the once seamless transfer of technology and people across countries. And as a result, companies more and more have to adapt with societies and their needs or else get left behind. BlackRock CEO Larry Fink and Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella recently sat down at the BlackRock Future Forum, a virtual event for thousands of our clients, where they discuss topics that are informing the future of investing, from technology to post-COVID governing to healthcare. Today, we're sharing their conversation with Becky Quick, co-anchor of CNBC's Squawk Box. Larry and Satya talked about how changes in geopolitics are shaping the global business environment, the fortunes of different economies, and the path for corporations in the long term. Let's get to it.
1: about globalism. And just a few years ago, it seemed like things were going so global. You had borders coming down. You had people and technology and companies moving across countries seamlessly. But that seems to have been part of the big reason that the coronavirus has replicated so quickly, too. And we've definitely seen a pullback since that time. When you're on the ground, what do you hear in terms of what governments and companies are thinking these days? And what do you think about the future of globalism?
2: The future of globalism is intact, but it's evolving. It's going to be adapting with societies and society's needs. But let's be clear, globalization has helped more people in society than any other economic form. And yet, globalization has left some segments of society behind. So that's why I said globalization has to change and evolve. And technology is going to accelerate globalization in many ways and inhibit globalization. Right now, we're seeing the impact. And also because of COVID, as you framed the question, the supply chains were being redefined because of technology. And we were seeing the trend of more onshoring of some manufacturing products. We're seeing moving supply chains closer to demand. So that evolution has already occurred. It may be accelerating now. But let's be clear. I think even now, the sharing of science related to COVID is a good example of how globalization can accelerate humanity. If we don't focus on globalization and the positive impacts of globalization, we are going to leave billions of people in society in different countries behind. And so if we are still humanists, and I think we all are, we all need to be working together to build a more holistic world. And I know that's not fashionable at the moment, and we're all focusing on nationalism and make America first. I believe we still can make America first using that phrase, but in the context of globalization as a positive force.
1: Hey, Sacha, let's just talk a little bit about what you've seen and how this has really accelerated how humanity uses technology. What have you all seen at Microsoft?
3: So I think of it as in three phases, Becky. They're all happening in parallel. There was the response phase, there is the recovery phase, there is the reimagined phase. And in all of these phases, technology is creating both the conditions for business continuity. I mean, during the response phase, if you think about it, the biggest challenge was how do we continue to work, but most importantly, the critical parts of our economy, the first responders. So we became the digital first responders to the first responders out there, whether it's in healthcare, whether it is in public sector, and so the idea that technology can help, the continuity of business, that's been the most important thing. Now, as we start thinking about hybrid work in the recovery, in the reimagine, we'll start seeing some of the structural change. Take even what's happening in retail. Omnichannel retail was there before guess what? Omnichannel retail will take new shape now. What's happening online? How does it get consummated in some contactless drop-off and so on? So the idea that we will now start seeing by business process in another area is telemedicine. Telemedicine has been something we've been talking about for 20 years, 30 years. Guess what? Telemedicine now is mainstream, right? Basically, when every hospital shut down for COVID, all of their outpatient activity, in fact, move to telemedicine. And it's not going back to normal. In fact, an AI triage tool to a telemedicine consult, then showing up in the hospital is going to become a norm. And so these are good changes. These are going to be helpful even in terms of us taming the healthcare costs.
1: So, Satya Larry just said that he doesn't think globalization is dead, that it's going to continue, it'll evolve. But do you think technology is going to be a huge part of the reason why and just the means for how that happens? Do you agree with what he said?
3: I liked Larry's even overall framing. See, in fact, I think perhaps one of the biggest mistakes we made whenever the Berlin Wall fell was to talk about it as if it was the end of history. If anything, it should have been just, hey, the continuation of history. And globalization has been there. It didn't start in 89. It has been there throughout human history. And the question is, how do we adjust even for some of the unintended consequences of globalization? If anything, I think we all, as quote-unquote multinational companies, have to be grounded on what happened. In that last phase of globalization. A lot of businesses got created. A lot of the middle class in Asia was able to make progress or create it. But at the same time, communities in the United States were also devastated because of jobs going away and those communities not having the ability to move up the social ladder and the economic ladder. So now in this next phase, as a multinational company grounded in that fact, I believe my license to operate, whether it's in the U.S. or in the U.K. or in India or what have you, comes because something else that Larry has been talking about, because we are creating local surplus, right? Companies can't be just out there. They have to be where they are living and working and contributing. And so that, to me, is what I take away. So, therefore, I think globalization will continue. But we also, especially in business, need to talk about the real issues that got created in, say, the last phase of globalization and how we're going to address them.
1: Let's talk about one of those issues, and that might be something that we've traded around the globe as well. the, The fiscal and monetary policy to deal with some of the problems, huge economic fallout that has come from this. And... What we saw happen last time with the Federal Reserve and other central bankers when we saw this back in 2008, 2009, step in to try and do these things, one of the unintended consequences was that it made wealthy people even wealthier by trying to preserve assets and hold things up. And so I kind of wonder what happens this time around. Larry, you talk to a lot of these central bankers all the time. What do you think the potential unintended consequences could be?
2: And we're engaged with five different central banks right now and helping them in their policy formation. So there's no question, monetary policy has been the dominant tool for stabilization of the world, and monetary policy monetizes financial assets, and financial assets have done better than any form of assets in post-2008, and certainly what we witnessed since the Federal Reserve and other central banks began their policies, and so there's no question, the wealthy people who own financial assets are huge beneficiaries. Now, that's the first line. The reality, though, monetary policy stabilized so many great American companies. So it's not as visible. In the third week of March, the Federal Reserve announced their intended programs. We announced a trillion and a half dollar fiscal stimulus with more to come. Other countries did the same. And so the very difference between today's monetary policy function and 2008 was the monetary policy as the fiscal policy is all about preservation of jobs. And in every conversation I've had with every central banker and policymaker, how do we preserve jobs? How do we create stability? And through that, obviously, you see this big impact in the valuation of equities, but the job stability was enormous from the very low point in March. And I think those are the things we're not emphasizing enough. The positive actions, the aggressive actions of the central banks and our Treasury, was enough to stabilize our economies. It was able to stabilize hundreds and hundreds of companies, thousands of small businesses. And I'm not saying we're over, and we still have a lot of structural problems today, but the actions were fantastic. Now, the unintended consequences are going to be, generally, when you have deep recessions, we generally benefit from companies that fail because we have the resurgence of new companies. We're not going to see that. We are creating some structural imbalances in the long run, but we shouldn't care about the long run because if the policies work and we create new economic growth and we have a vital economy going forward, much of the unintended problems will not be as significant. Unquestionably, we're going to have trillions and trillions of dollars added to our deficits. And ultimately, that will be a big issue one day. And it'll be a bigger issue if we don't create growth in between that. We have to look at it in the whole co- totality of what was done. And I would applaud our policymakers.
1: I would applaud them too, but I wonder how lasting some of these issues will be when you hear companies like United say that they may have to lay off half of their employees come the fall if things don't turn around
2: there are going to be a lot of companies that are going to be impacted by the disease curve. And right now, we're seeing a resurgence of the disease curve. We're seeing some rollback. And so let's be clear, in some industries, we do have systematic problems that will still persist. But for many, many other companies, they feel a lot better today. Their prospects in the future are far better than they were in March.
1: Sacha, let me ask you about tensions between the United States and China. It's certainly not new, but the rhetoric has dialed up recently, and I think that's in large part because of what's happening with the pandemic and the scare that has kicked off things. How has that changed? How do you handle the supply chain? How do you handle your customers? And how do you just deal with your own company, dealing with a global company?
3: I think one of the issues coming out of this is definitely the relationship between the U.S. and China, but quite frankly... U.S. and European Union and what is happening between India and China, there's a lot going on in the world today, whether it's nationalism, whether it is about national security, whether their legitimate interests each country has in terms of their own trade and what's in their interest. So the way I look at it, I go back, Becky, to say, okay, what does it mean for us to serve our customers where they are with the sort of types of networks and businesses that they have? For example, let's take a European multinational customer who's on our cloud. What they care about is Microsoft doing the job to help them operate both in China with the Chinese framework and the laws, as well as in European Union and in the United States. So we need to be where our customers expect us to be. That's sort of, I'm being practical about where... The world is being reshaped and where are our customers expecting us to show up and with what type of data sovereignty, what type of locality that people expect from us, whether it's employment locally, whether it's data center operations locally. In some sense, you could say tech was one of those industries that didn't face regulation. Larry and everyone else in financial sector has always faced a lot of barriers and a lot of local regulations, whereas tech had unfettered access to markets. Those days are gone. And the idea that tech will now need to make sure that they have local operations, local jurisdictional relevance, I think is going to be the
1: case for us. Gentlemen, you both talk an awful lot about corporate responsibility and what your companies need to do to step up in this world. I think people have turned more and more to corporations in recent days, especially in the last several months. I just wonder if you can address the idea of what it is that you think corporations should be doing and maybe talk quickly about one or two things that you are doing to make sure that you're involved with this. Larry, why
2: don't we start with you? I write these letters while we're working on the 21 letter. Stakeholder capitalism is becoming more and more important. Sanjay talked about a license to operate. This whole trend of deglobalization, we have to prove in every part of the world we earn that license to operate every day. COVID is an existential risk of health. I wrote about climate change. That's an existential risk to health and so much larger And I think the role of corporations are going to be even larger and larger in society. Society is frustrated with government. I wrote about that in the last two years. And I think society is looking for large corporations like Microsoft and BlackRock to play a bigger role. And more importantly, our clients want us to play that role. And most importantly, if you don't show a strong purpose, you're not going to get the best and brightest young people joining your firm. And so I do believe over the next 12 months, we as corporations are going to have to be even more vigilant in terms of our role in society. In the United States, we are going to have to show a great deal of what we are going to do about the social issues in our country. We're going to have to talk about how we are keeping our employees safe as we ask them to come back to the office. The majority of our employees in the United States are still frightened to coming back to the office as much as they want to get out, they are worried about public transportation, they're worried about going up and down elevators, they're very worried. I believe one of the good positives out of this will also mean though, we will never have 100% of the people back in our offices. We're gonna rotate, we're gonna be working that. That's gonna be a good thing. We're gonna actually improve the environment. We're gonna have less city congestion. Can you imagine New York and Seattle with less (laughs) congestion? My gosh, but anyway, The most important thing that I think we have to think about as leaders of companies more than ever, we have to show a little more emotionalism. We also have to prove our actions with courage. That is something that I'm saying loudly right now, that we are going to have to be more courageous as a company. And those companies that are being identified, that are making these changes, that are really focusing on stakeholder capitalism, they're going to be the huge winners of the future. And the reluctant, non-courageous leaders of companies, they're going to fall. They're not going to get the best and brightest young people. Their clients are going to be pulling away from them. this thing about long-termism and long-term capital is going to accelerate more than ever. And we all are going to have to be a little more courageous.
1: Hey, Satya, I know one of the issues that all corporations are kind of looking at right now is diversity and trying to make sure that their employee base represents their customer base and the rest of the world beyond that. I had read recently that you were going to make sure that Microsoft is reaching out to some of the historically black colleges and making sure you have better connections there. And I thought, well, that's the perfect sort of scientific, logical way about going about doing
3: this. I think this is the time for every one of us to have that sense of purpose, not just in words, but at the core of the business model. And One of the ways I describe it is, Microsoft will do well if the world around us does well. And that has to be true. That means what we do in the core, whether the products we produce, the business model we have, leads to that broad success. And you know, diversity and inclusion is the same piece, Becky. We have to represent the world if we want to serve the world internally so one of the things that we did given the moment we're living through when it comes to black and african-american experience in the country let's start with our own company one of the things that has been quite frankly a massive learning moment i think for all of us for sure for me was just the lived experience of people who are black and african-american in microsoft in seattle in the communities we live in and saying, okay what are we going to do about the first representation at all levels inclusion at all levels and so that's sort of the commitment we made which is to say let us think about our own culture our ecosystem so for example we spend a lot of money we have supplier programs that for example now have sustainability metrics let's even have representation metrics so we are now expanding our supplier programs our programs with customers partners so that our ecosystem also takes this as a priority just like how we are taking climate change as a priority And the same thing goes with even the communities we live in. So using data, perhaps, to create more transparency around the criminal justice reform that is much needed. So Microsoft needs to start within our own house first, live our own culture, But then reach out, whether it's to the historically black colleges, to make sure that they have the STEM education. But really, it's more like when I look at the intern class, I was just looking at the demographics of the intern class at Microsoft, which, by the way, is all virtual. I'm sure it's the same at BlackRock. It's pretty stunning. It's one of the most diverse, gender, ethnic. It's sort of fantastic, Steve. One of the things that I do worry is when they look up, when they look around them, Is it inviting? Is it giving them that, okay, this is a place where I can succeed? And that's, I think, the job ahead of us. And so that's what we committed to doing.
1: And finally, I'd just like to ask you each, when you look at what's happening with the crises that we're all dealing with in the world with the pandemic and everything associated with that, with the economic fallout, do you think it puts some of these issues on the back burner? And I ask that because there was a study that took a look at the words climate change and how often they came up in conference calls. In the first quarter, it was down 50% from where it was in the fourth quarter. Is this a temporary thing or is this a bigger hurdle to try and jump over? Larry? Larry?
2: We've had record flows into sustainable funds. We're seeing an acceleration of more and more people interested in sustainable funds. As I said, COVID is an existential risk of health. Climate change is an existential risk too. It actually accelerates it. And let me just be clear, the young people who are starting BlackRock this month, they're doing it virtually. These are the same young people who are teenagers during the Great Financial Recession. They were born or a few years old during 9-11. They have a total different experience than we did. I personally had the most idyllic childhood. I was happy and dumb. It was perfect. It's not that way anymore, unfortunately. And these young people are demanding change for their future. COVID is an accelerant for more focus on climate change.
3: Sacha, a quick last word? I would, first of all, agree with that, which is in some sense, the way we think about systemic issues is to really make sure that we have a systemic response. So inside, even at Microsoft, when I look at what we are doing, whether it's climate change or racial inequity or dealing with health care coming out of this, All of these things will require us to reimagine how to make the systems better. So I think we as a society can keep multiple priorities prioritized as opposed to trading one against the other. But I do think that we need institutional strength all around.
1: Satya and Larry, I wanna thank you both very much for your time today and for the conversation.
4: This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by BlackRock, is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, or investment advice, and is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by BlackRock to be reliable and are not guaranteed as to accuracy or completeness. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. There is no guarantee that any forecast made will come to pass. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. Past performance is not indicative of current or future results. This information provided is neither tax nor legal advice, and investors should consult with their own advisors before making investment decisions. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not get back the amount invested. In the U.S. and Canada, this material is intended for public distribution. In the U.K., this is issued by BlackRock Investment Management, U.K. Limited. Authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Registered Office, 12 Throgmorton Avenue, London, EC2N2DL. Telephone, 44 20 7743-3000. 7743 three, Registered in England and Wales, number 202 two, For your protection, telephone calls are usually recorded. BlackRock is a trading name of BlackRock Investment Management UK Limited. In Singapore, this is issued by BlackRock Singapore Limited, co-registration number two zero 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 one zero one four three n In Hong Kong, this material is issued by BlackRock Asset Management, North Asia Limited, and has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. In Australia, issued by BlackRock Investment Management, Australia Limited, ABN 13-006-165-975-AFSL-230-523-BIMAL. The material provides general information only and does not take into account your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, or circumstances. In Latin America, this material is for educational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice nor an offer or solicitation to sell, or a solicitation of an offer to buy any shares of any fund. No securities regulators in Latin America have confirmed the accuracy of any information contained herein. The provision of investment management and investment advisory services is a regulated activity in Mexico, thus is subject to strict rules. For more information on the investment advisory services offered by BlackRock Mexico, please refer to the Investment Services Guide, available at www.blackrock.com. Copyright 2019, BlackRock Inc. All rights reserved. BlackRock is a registered trademark of BlackRock Inc. All other trademarks are those of their respective owners.